Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, well, welcome back, everybody, to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. The question is, how can God make good what was meant for evil? Well, we need to understand that evil is never outside the providential control of the Lord. The Lord is at work doing his good purposes in the context of evil. Uh, The story of Joseph is an example of this in the final dozen chapters of Genesis. In Genesis, we learn about Joseph's betrayal at the hands of his brothers, his unjust suffering, his eventual rise to power because the Lord was with him, and, and whereby many lives were saved. And when Joseph confronted his brothers, the providence of God was at work in his life, as Genesis fifty twenty says, As for you, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. A descendant of Joseph named Jesus Christ suffered similarly. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. He suffered the worst injustice in history when he was hung and died in shame on a Roman cross. At that moment, it would have been tempting to to ponder if God was not sovereign and had lost or if he was good, perfectly just and powerful enough to stop injustice. Three days later, Jesus rose from his grave, atoning for mankind's sin, and was fully vindicated as sovereign, good, and powerful. God used uh, the freely chosen evils of Jesus of Judas, Herod, Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the Jews to accomplish his perfect purpose in the same way he used the Chaldeans, an evil nation, to punish the persistent sin of Judah and Jerusalem. This does not mean that their evil is his responsibility. In a cosmic way, the God of all providence uses evil to judge evil, even as his hand brings punishment on Israel and the death to Jesus, he also brings redemption and resurrection into the context of judgment and death. You see, a day is coming when Christians will also rise to Jesus. And on that day, our faith will be sight and we will see God fully vindicated as we enter the best possible world after passing through this world, which prepares us for it. Uh, until that day, our answer to the question of how God's sovereignty relates to sin is ultimately a prayerful, a worshipful, a humble, a continual meditation on Romans 8.28, which says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so people ask, why does God allow evil and suffering? And Christians must avoid presumption concerning the causes of evil and suffering because this question remains a profound mystery. In fact, attempting to explain why there's such evil in a world made by a good God is called theosity, justifying God's ways. While much more could be said about this issue, three points come to bear on this challenging question that need to be highlighted in this brief episode. First, God has a morally adequate but not yet a fully revealed reason for allowing evil and suffering. The Lord reassures his people that his decrees and his actions are righteous and holy. The scriptures are replete with uh, in declaring God's moral perfection and his dealing with mankind's uh, 
uh, issues. The, the patriarch Abraham says in Genesis 18.25, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the, the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 89 verse 14, Righteousness and justice are, your, are the foundation of your throne. Nor is God in his decisions subject to the critique of finite and imperfect human beings. Even if God were to explain in detail his ultimate purpose to human beings, there's, there's no real reason to think that mere creatures could fully understand his majestic ways. God's excellent discussion with Job concerning the problem of evil and and suffering subsequently reveals God's inscrutable wisdom and Job's limited comprehension of the Creator's purpose in creation and redemption. Second, God's sovereignty and glory will be displayed by his ultimate prevailing over evil. In fact, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? And the, the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, all of God's great works, creation and redemption, are intended to display God's sovereignty and God's glory. And, and however God's uh, final prevailing over evil and sin uh, will all the more exhibit his splendor and his dominion. And so this prevailing has already begun with the life, the death, the resurrection of the divine Messiah, Jesus Christ. God's plan to deal with evil is prepared for in creation, but executed in redemption. Satan and his forces are already defeated foes with Christ's first coming as Savior. All evil and human uh, sin will forever be vanquished um, at, at Christ's second coming as judge and king. After these cataclysmic, astrological end times events, the Lord will bring forth the new creation, forever free from evil and its consequences. Now, in Revelation 21, 1-3, it speaks of God creating a new heaven and a new earth, along with the holy city, the new Jerusalem. At that glorious time, all sin, all suffering, and all sorrow will be forever eliminated. God will have eradicated the problem of evil. Uh, the Apostle John provides a prophetic glimpse of this glorious eternal age to come in Revelation 21, verse 4. Uh, thirdly, God allows evil and suffering because of the greater good that results from it. Uh, according to Scripture, the greater good for humanity came out of the greatest act of evil. Jesus Christ, none other than, than God in human flesh, came to reveal God's love to humanity. And though, and though he is perfectly holy and blameless, he was rejected by both the religious and the political authorities, falsely accused, convicted, and subsequently beaten and executed as a common criminal. Now, Jesus suffered the agony of Roman capital punishment, crucifixion. However, God had planned this in incredible miscarriage of justice from all eternity. Out of this horrible incident of malice and agony uh, came forth the divine redemption for sinners. God brought the greatest good out of the greatest evil. Lastly, Augustine's uh, words, they explain this well when he says this, For the Almighty, who, uh, who as even the heathen acknowledge, has supreme power over all things, being himself supremely good, would never permit the existence of anything evil among his works, if he were not so omnipotent and good that he can bring forth good out of evil. Well said. 
see, while Christians should be cautious about claiming to identify God's purposes behind specific incidences of of injustice or even suffering, the Bible does reveal insight into how God uses evil and suffering for our good. First, God may use evil and suffering to get an unbeliever's attention and ultimately draw that person to himself. Christian apologist Walter Martin used to say that some people will not look up to the Lord until they lay flat on their back. Now, evil and suffering can shock uh, people out of their lives of diversion and indifference and distraction to spiritual things and, and sometimes out of their false sense of control. And, and in this same way, the problems may be used by God's grace to bring a person to faith. As C.S. Lewis so eloquently put it, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Secondly, God may use the results of evil and suffering to build the moral and spiritual character of his people or to express fatherly discipline. Courage is forged only through facing one's fears, just as steel must be refined by fire. For faith to grow, um, it often has to be tested by fire, and God expresses more concern for his children than, than for their comfort. And so God uses evil and suffering to facilitate the believer's moral and spiritual maturity. The Apostle Paul, who endured much evil and suffering, explains the casual cause between suffering and character in Romans 5.3. Now, a loving earthly father disciplines his children. And though unpleasant at the time, discipline is crucial for a child's growth as a responsible person. God similarly allows evil and suffering to bring about discipline in the life of his children. As a writer of Hebrews declares in Hebrews 12.7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. However, the the assuring guarantee for the Christian is that God does not allow evil and suffering to come into a Christian's life without producing a greater good for that person. In fact, the Apostle Paul set forth that divine promise in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. With that said, facing evil and suffering is never easy, even if a person knows that God is ultimately in control. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.